Hi, I'm Amber and I teach art online. And my name's Shannon and I'm a former art teacher who also teaches online. And we are now teachers who teach teaching. Teaching, welcome to our podcast. Welcome back to Teachers Teach Teaching. Uh, last week, we talked a little bit about setting boundaries for parents when you're distance learning, when parents happen to suddenly be in your classroom, um, maybe all day, every day, and kind of how those boundaries translate from an in-person environment to an online environment. Today, we're going to get into kind of the nitty gritty when, you know, last week's episode is really about when everything goes exactly as planned, uh, really planning for the typical parent and knowing that as a teacher, Oftentimes, we have parents who don't quite fit that mold. Uh, so what this is going to look like, really setting boundaries or holding your boundaries when a parent won't respect them. Yeah, so I'm excited to talk about this because I know that it is something that a lot of teachers, whether they're in person or online, are dealing with. Uh, and I would really be willing to guess that people are dealing with it a lot more now that they're teaching online, um, just because the parents have access to more of the content, but also I think keeping in mind, because parents are also trying to figure out how to support their students. And so as we're talking about this, especially if you happen to be a parent listening to this, we really want to, this is the goal is to help everyone. This isn't saying that we think like parents are bad people um, or there's anything wrong with the parents that are really reaching out, but um, we want to help make sure that everyone is having a good um, experience through this. So that being said, when you have that parent coming that just kind of like is really, really um, pushing, pushing past your boundaries, first thing that you need to start to do is document. And you might think, I don't want to do this. Is it really that bad? Does that really matter? And I'm going to say, yes, it does. Because it is yep. much easier to farther down the line realize you can just throw it all in the trash than to realize you wish you had all of that documentation and you didn't. So when I'm talking about documentation, I mean, if you're emailing each other, you should be making sure that you are saving those emails. So either printing them and putting them in a folder, putting them in a folder in your email, whatever way actually works well in your brain so that you can quickly access and find all of them. Not like, um, I know that they're somewhere in the 9,000 emails that I have in my inbox right now. I'm just hoping that the search feature works. Uh, if you have any type of meetings, phone meetings, Zoom meetings, in-person meetings, whatever that looks like, taking some time after that and documenting that. Uh, so a really good practice is actually documenting it through email and sending that to the parents so that there's this really clear, like, this is what we discussed. This is a summary. This is what I'm going to do. This is what you're going to do. It's a good way to help make sure everyone's on the same page and it's forming that documentation for you. Um, and so same thing if you're doing phone calls, just making note of um, even if you call and they don't answer, making note of I tried to call at this date, at this time, I left a message. I tried again at this date, at this time, I left a message because um, it can also be helpful to demonstrate that you aren't ignoring them. You are trying to address the issue and you're trying to connect with them. And for whatever reason, maybe that's not actually working. So that can be helpful for you to keep track of as well. Yep. 
I think um, I'm, a, I'm a chronic email deleter. So I am happy when my email has like one or two emails, if I can get it to zero, which hasn't happened in a long time. Um, but with parent correspondence, uh, in lieu of deleting, uh, just create like an archive folder or a specific folder. And even if, you know, if these are casual emails with parents, just send them all to that folder just so that you have them. Then if you have a parent who kind of starts becoming this parent who, oh, I think I need to document this communication. I already have all of it. I can just kind of keyword search and then filter them into their own folder. Yeah, um, I love that. So the next thing that I would say is we really need to focus on what parents actually want. Um, sometimes it feels like when a parent will finally get a hold of you, they might give you the, you know, 40 different things. For a lot of parents, like getting to the point of saying, I'm going to set up a meeting, I'm going to set up a phone call, they might have a lot of pent up frustration. There might be several things that they're really frustrated about. Um, if you're in a phone call, I would encourage you to just really take that beginning time to listen, let them air out all their grievances, don't give them the reason why it happened, the rationale behind it, let them speak all the way through and try to find um, the commonalities. What are, they, what are they really frustrated about? Um, at the end of the day, it is likely that it's coming out of a concern for their kids. Um, they're worried about their kid, you know, their grades, they're worried about interactions with peers, they're worried that their student, you know, the student isn't understanding. Um, so it's coming from a genuine place of parental concern, uh, which is ultimately, you know, what we hope that all parents will have. They'll be engaged and involved and want their students to, their kids to succeed. Um, if that's through email, it might be a little bit harder to discern uh, the message from the tone um, as electronic communication really has carries that extra baggage in terms of what did they really mean. Um, so really when, when you're reading an email, I am very guilty of opening an email and getting hurt or angry or riled up or whatever it is. But if I can look at it through a really objective lens and take away sort of my defensiveness, I can get to the root of what this is actually saying. Um, so especially if you're going to follow up that email with a phone call, Try to understand, come from a place of understanding and, and assuming the best of that parent rather than going in with sort of a defensive um, guard up. I think it's also helpful, at least this sometimes helps bring my guard down. Um, if I remember, the parent is currently responding to me with a lack of information, but they don't know they have a lack of information. Mm. Like... <laughs> I need more water. Um, they are responding most likely based on what their child has told them. Like, especially when we think about grades, like if you always picture the scenario, I often imagine it as the parent looks at the grade book is like, mm, why do you have a D? They go to the kid and they're like, why do you have a D? Why do you have missing assignments? And the kid says, because my teacher doesn't give any directions or due dates or didn't grade things or whatever. And then the parent is like, okay, let me work on this. Um, so knowing sometimes and, and also approaching it as like, they're operating off of one story um, and, and knowing like, okay, we can probably work through this if they just have all the information. Yep, absolutely. The third tip that I would give you is um, provide wait time. 
just like we do in a traditional classroom, that wait time can feel really uncomfortable to give students, you know, five, 10, maybe 15 seconds to process after you answer a question or after you give a question. Give parents that same wait time. If you become the teacher that responds to them so quickly, and I think we talked about this a little bit last week as well, um, the quicker you respond, you can expect you're gonna get a fast response back. Um, whereas if you really take your time and provide um, a thoughtful um, response to this parent, you're more likely to get a thoughtful response back. Um, people will communicate with us in the same way that we communicate with them. And also by giving that wait time, you're showing that like I do have boundaries. Um, if it's 7 p.m., I'm done working for the day. So I will respond to you when I'm starting working again tomorrow morning. Yeah. So now I feel like Shannon got all the, all the tips that are like, kind of like warm and fuzzy and like, let's assume the best. And I'm like, let's assume the worst. Let's um, get into the worst. <laughs> and so it, it really is like, you have to have a balance of both of those things. So yes, when you're responding, it can be helpful to calm yourself down, but like, don't calm yourself down so much that you forget to document everything. Um, and then the other part of it is really thinking about when do you need to loop in your administration? or maybe a different person. It maybe isn't your administration, depending on your school structure and things like that. It might be a guidance counselor. It might be um, like, a, like a lead teacher, a department head, something like that. That's for you to really think about. Um, and so a couple things that I like to ask myself when, you're when I'm trying to decide, like, am I gonna be the one to escalate this? So one, um, as soon as the parent starts threatening to you, like, if you don't do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to take it to the principal, or I'm going to take it to the guidance counselor, whomever, mm. that is a clear signal that you need to take it to them first. Um, yep. And there's a couple reasons for that. So one, you want to be the one leading with information. So just like I talked about earlier, the parents coming at you with the story the student told, you want that you want your story to be the one um that your administrator hears first and really understands like your perspective of the big picture your administrator is also going to uh appreciate that you did that they don't like to be caught off guard either by a by an angry parent where they feel sure. completely uninformed they have no idea what's going on they don't know how to respond um and so that's often going to make the increase that potential that your administrator is going to approach you angry where if you go to them and say hey look this is what's happening um and doing xyz to work on resolving it right now i don't need you to take any action i just want to make sure that you're informed the parents have mentioned um bringing this to you and so i don't want you to be caught off guard i will let you know if i really think that i need uh further support or further guidance from you um if you are meeting with them, um, and I would say meeting with them, uh, especially in person, um, but even more so if you're doing a Zoom meeting, something like that online, obviously Zoom can be recorded, but you should tell them it's being recorded before you mm -hmm. just record it. Um, I recommend at that point, if, it's, if you're meeting because someone's really angry with you, um, 
obviously parents can be reaching out to you for a whole host of different reasons where it's not as complicated. Um, but if the situation is fairly complex, if they're really angry with you, if they're accusing you of something that like you really did not do, um, then I always recommend that, that another person is coming into that meeting with you because otherwise it, it really is in that instance, like this person said this, like it's your word against theirs. Um, the other person can also really act as a mediator and does tend to calm the situation down some um, and even takes away some of that anger. Don't surprise the parent and have them not think that they're just meeting with you and they walk in and they're like, five people in the room, I would always just recommend one more unless your school has a different policy, but the parent should know that of, hey, just so you know, I've invited so-and-so, they're going to be sitting in on the meeting. For the most part, mm -hmm. they are just going to be listening and documenting and will only step in um, like if there really needs to be some more uh, mediation, if they can support whatever, um, so that you have someone else that is, is just really there understanding uh, understanding what's going on. You could do the same thing in a phone conversation if, if needed, but I would say whenever, like if they've already reached out to you a couple times, you've practiced the things that Shannon mentioned of like really trying to understand what they want. You've practiced wait time and it's just continuing to get pushed that's when that's always a signal to me of like one maybe this is out of my my realm of what i really know how to deal with two is this parent going after a lot of other teachers maybe there's something much bigger going on that i don't know about um and just like hey it seems like i've kind of run out of tools <laughs> to work on this situation and bringing someone else in can also help bring an end to it because obviously you can't just ignore the person like that really is just not an option in our profession if you want to continue to be a professional um and so if you've already done all of those other things and like you just can't get out of that cycle then that's when you want to bring another person in um and let the parent know that that person's bringing in. Obviously, you might be like talking to your best friend teacher of like, oh my gosh, I'm so frustrated. That doesn't count. Um, this is where we're talking about like really officially the parent knows this conversation is going on and like the other person is being brought into the conversation. They are CC'd on the emails. They are sitting in the meetings. They are listening to the phone calls, not just you walking across the hallway or like picking up the phone of your teacher friend and being like, this is what happened. Um, so hopefully uh, these are all some helpful things for you. And I mean, really my goal for you is that that this whole episode um, is not even necessary. Never comes to fruition, right? Yeah, I've seen a lot of memes recently that are like normalized teachers having time off. Um, and that to me says that there, there are a lot of parents who probably aren't respecting those boundaries of like, hey, my weekends, I, I don't respond to parent emails. Um, so, you know, if nothing else, I, I hope that you walk away from this episode feeling like boundaries are a good thing. Boundaries can be positive. And when parents don't respect your boundaries, you have a couple strategies that you can pull out. Um, so to recap on those strategies, we have uh, number one, document, document, document. Uh, reflect on what parents really want from you, what they're truly asking for, or what their true concerns are. 
use wait time and when you need to loop in another stakeholder, whether that's um, your administrator or another professional in your building that can really support you. Yeah, and so now we, because we are teachers, uh, we wouldn't let you off the hook without an assignment. Um, yes. No, and really the, the goal, we want you to take action and the goal in taking action is always so that you're getting ahead of these. Like, um, we don't want this to happen to anyone. We don't want it for the parent, the student, or for you as the teacher. So what we want you to take action on this week is what is one thing that you will do this week that's going to make parent communication easier. And so now we want to uh, have you also head over to Instagram. You can find us at Teachers Teach Teaching and let us know what you're trying. Share your ideas. What is the thing that you're going to try this week that's going to make communication easier? Um, that way you can also learn from and inspire each other. And hopefully all of us can have just the rest of our teaching careers with wonderful parent communication. And full of boundaries. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.